0: Hey, this is Michael. Thanks so much for listening to SOMA's podcast. Before this week's teaching, I just want to take a second and thank you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It makes a huge impact. Enjoy the message. All right. Happy Sunday. It's good to be in the house. If you're excited for baptisms, come on. If you love Jesus, make some noise in here. Let's go. Let's go. Sunday after uh, Easter is always like, um, Easter is like, whoa, everybody comes, and people, you know, there's all kinds of craziness over Easter, a lot of people in the room, and sometimes people will uh, people will be like, I'm good, I'll dip out, and they'll dip out until like Christmas or, or you know, uh, like a month later or whatever. So if you're here as a follow-up, like you were here last week the first time, and you kind of like, you know what, I kind of like those people, I'm going to come hang out on a Sunday, I'm going to try this on, or if this is your first time, we love you day one, and God loves you, and, um, and our hope, our prayer is that it feels like coming home. Um, we want to build a culture, build an environment, build a space uh, where it just feels like, you know, coming over to grandma's house or whatever for lunch. Uh, you know what it's like to come home. Um, you've been on vacation, and vacation was good, and it was a great experience. But then you hit the threshold of your, your home and you like sleep in your bed and it's just like, oh, it just feels a little bit different. Um, years ago, I had a chance to go on this trip and it was like adventure of a lifetime. It was awesome and it was this real remote area, It's halfway around the world and Like real tropical area, but also real poor area. We're going with a group of people. We're going to serve the folks that were in that region, and it's one of those things where, when you go on these trips like this, you always think I'm going to go serve these people. I'm going to go help these people, and then you're always way more blessed than anything that you bring to the table. But um, the place that we were staying where we were going to this area was not um a dump like it was like a resort and we were like why are we staying at this we're trying to figure it out as a matter of fact my wife when I went she was like um do you know where you're staying and I was like no she was like this place is ridiculous and she was judging me a little bit but I didn't set this trip up so I was like hey I'm gonna go suffer for the Lord at this resort and so we went and stayed but it was beautiful experience beautiful people beautiful country and and God was um it was really cool to be a part of that experience But, uh, but it's like towards the end of the trip, it's just, you get, uh, you just kind of get tired and you're like, all right, I'm good. It's been 10 to 14 days or whatever. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to hug my wife, ready to kiss my babies, ready to pet my dog. You know what I mean? Like ready to lay in my bed and all of us, we got off the plane and got into American soul. First thing that we did when we got to an airport in America was we all went to five guys. And ate a cheeseburger as big as our head, because we were like, you know you go eat overseas in certain places it 's not this bad it 's just that your palate has not really adjusted to like the spices or like whatever it 's just like give me a burger, bro with all the things like give me a burger, so it just feels good to come home and um, the same thing's true for us spiritually, you know uh, the Bible tells us that you and I were not created for the world that we live in currently. We were created for eternity. And so there's always this craving, always this longing, always this desire for more. And it's because you weren't made for this space. You were made for a different one. I love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it. He puts it this way. He says, um, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And, uh, and Jesus, in his last hours, John 14, 15, and 16, there's this uh, several passages where Jesus is spending time with his closest friends and his followers, and he's really setting them up, preparing them for the cross, preparing them for resurrection. And today we're going to be in John chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. But, um, but as, as he steps into 14, 15, 16, he begins to teach things, he begins to reveal some things, he begins to serve them. This is where he washes their feet. This is where he says, hey, this is the body that's broken for you and the blood that's shed for you. This is where he begins to talk and speak about the days that are to come. And then he prays for, chapter 16, he prays for uh, his followers. And the thing that he prays for is he prays for unity. Unity in his love. Like He said, People are going to know who you are, that you're followers of me by the way that you love one another. And so he began to pray for unity for you and for me. Isn't that wild? Like his his closest friends and followers, but also just Big C Church. Not a specific expression or a brand or a location or any of that kind of stuff. He's just like, Unity. How do we get there? Jesus. He's like, Just be united in in the love that I have for you, and in that, you're going to be able to love one another better. And so, um, he, all of that in 14, 15 and 16, and then in chapter 14, uh, he begins to point to this idea that you and I were made for another place and, and our whole life is really spent trying to get home. And so he says this in verse one of 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God, believe also in me. So he speaks to the anxiety in the room. He speaks to the fear. He speaks to uh, the unmet expectations that they had of Jesus. Everybody in the room, just like everybody else who was Jewish, was expecting Jesus to be a political messiah. They were expecting Jesus to establish a new order uh, politically and kind of come in, take over Rome, that kind of thing. But Jesus, what he did is uh, he has this upside down kingdom. And instead of elevating himself by power, the type of power that you and I would think of when we think of power, he goes low and he humbles himself even to the point of a cross so that you and I could be crowned is what the Bible tells us and become co-heirs with Christ. How insane is that? And so uh, not because of what we've done, but just because of who he is. And so Jesus issues this command in verse one, do not be troubled. But every command of Christ in scripture, every rule, every law given down always comes with a promise and a blessing. Hey, do this. And then these things will happen. And so he says, do not be troubled. But then he goes on. If you believe in me, believe also if you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I not have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. And Jesus is talking about a heavenly home, a heavenly home that all of us really long for, all of us really desire, and you were created for this. Um, and it's not just a state of mind. It's not just an idea. Heaven, the Bible tells us, is a place, and Jesus describes that. Jesus is saying, I'm preparing a home for you, and you'll be able to spend time with me. Uh, you'll be able to abide. Um, and you'll be able to walk with me. You'll be able to experience my presence. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. And he's speaking to his followers and he says, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to get heaven ready. Um, and when, I, when we see this passage, uh, I want us to just kind of get it going in our minds this morning. Like, Think about, imagine what kind of place Jesus must be preparing for us when he says, hey, I'm leaving, I'm going to prepare a place. And we have kind of an idea. Most people think of heaven, they think culturally of whatever heaven, uh, they think of, you know, um, they think of heaven as being in the air. They think of heaven, like, angels, uh, celestial beings, harps, you know, lame music, naked baby angels, whatever the case may be. Like when you culturally, that's what people think of heaven. Um, John, the same guy who gives us this gospel actually gives us his own uh, dream of heaven. God gives him a vision of what heaven is going to look like. And, but Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place. And he says, it's going to be a big house. It's not gonna be small. It's gonna be big, lots of rooms in this house. And so, um, which is an encouragement to me, not a few rooms, not a select few rooms you want to come to. Cool. We'll add an addition, put an addition on the back. Right. So it's like whosoever will may come as enough room in the end at this house. And I'm thinking about the type of the type of uh, contractor. Jesus must be. Spent 30 years as an apprentice, as a carpenter, this side of eternity. Also, he is the son of man. Uh, he has everything at his dis- All things are for him, through him, and to him. He ain't worried about a plywood shortage. You know what I'm saying? It's not costing him $500 for a sheet of plywood like it does the rest of us in 2022, in Jesus' name. like He just got everything at his disposal, anything that he needs. He's got it. What kind of place does he prepare for us? Um, I was thinking about a trip yeah. Brooke and I, we took our girls uh, a few years ago. We went to Biltmore. And how many of y'all been to Biltmore up in Asheville? And uh, it's a it, beautiful place, beautiful home. The Vanderbilts went to Europe, saw French chateaus, and thought, yeah, let's do that. Let's just build that junk, but in western North Carolina. That'll be great. Let's just drop that bad boy in, the most random place ever. And so uh, let's just build a railway. We'll get all the supplies there. It'll be great. If you've been, you know how offensive it is in terms of size and scale uh, it is over 250 rooms, 43 bathrooms, which I would love as a house full of women. That would be so great if we had 43 bathrooms up in my house. But it's four acres worth of square footage, massive place, so 175,000 square feet. And that's just in the house. And so then you go to see the rest of the property, and it's just like crazy. It's just wild. Uh, electricity before, I mean, they built this thing at the turn of the, the 20th century. It's still the largest home in America, like electricity before anybody else had it, had an elevator. Just throw an elevator in there. Let's just flex on the rest of humanity. Put an elevator in there. Why not? So they did all these different things and our girls would go and I'll never forget when we went, um, one of, one of my kids looked at me and they're like, dad, why, why don't we live in a house like this? I was like, baby girl, uh, George Vanderbilt was not in ministry. Okay. So your boy owned half America. Um, but so, but it's just, it's wild to go to a space like that and be overwhelmed with how big, how incredible, how beautiful, the attention to detail, how long did this take, took a long time, and, um, and to think about mansions and things that he's prepared for us. But you and I are overwhelmed with that, but God looks at that and God is like, oh, that is so sweet. That's so cute. Look, y'all, y'all took some like resources that I gave you and you like put them all together and made like a little thing down there. That's so sweet. It's got an elevator. That's adorable. Like he's like looking at all the things and then God's like, hey, here's what I made. I made this. This is what I made. And uh, this was just, how long did it take you guys to build that house? It took a long time. This took me like a second. I did this in like a second. And um, there's a rainbow. It's just like a constant rainbow um, and it's sunny outside, but it's still rainbow because I wanted it. And uh, so he builds things like this. And then there's other places. He's like, you know what? Let's, let's do one of these as well. This is in Australia. There's a lake that's just pink. It's just a pink lake. And for lo- scientists were like, what the heck? Because it's the only place It's like, it's the only pink lake. You know what I mean? And they they figured out it's like some kind of algae or bacteria. They, they don't really know. But they're like, it, and there's a pink lake. And he's like, why not? This is a pink lake. I was bored with blue lakes. Let's do pink over here. And you keep going. And you realize that he makes things like this and he's like, this is Switzerland. looks like Narnia. Let's just throw some ice crystals on there. You know what I mean? A little snow. Give it a vibe. That's good. Uh, Make a fire. Uh, There's salt flats. I'm going to make this thing. I mean, these are are everywhere in the world, but I mean, they're all over the place. He's like, I'm just going to make some cool things like that, and people can take a picture in front of it and post it on Instagram. You see images like this, and, uh, and you're thinking that guy's on top of a mountain and he's looking at the galaxies and there's all these stars and that is an awesome image. And then you read and you realize this brother's in a cave in New Zealand and those are glow worms. Isn't that crazy? Um, he's making junk up. How did you, what? That's not even a thing. You just made that up. Uh, keep going. And, and this is in Arizona. Some of you have been there. How many of you have been to this place? Have you been in Arizona? It's like cantaloupe. Uh, what is it called? Uh, Valley, Cantaloupe Valley or something like that. I don't remember exactly, but he was like, let's just make something, you know, make something that kind of looks like a lava lamp. Let's just drop that in there for people's pleasure. So we go to, we go to um, beautiful places and spaces and we get some kind of idea, some kind of experience of the beauty and the vastness and how amazing God is as creator. You don't even have to go a long way to experience a beautiful sunset and to experience cotton candy skies and just to like pull over on the side of the road someday and be like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, it's crazy. And then you get, and and then let this hit. Uh, You read in the Bible, you realize all that we see is actually broken. It's not even Eden. It's not even what he has in mind. It's not even new heaven and new earth and new creation. It's not what we have to look forward to. That's actually broken. Like, can you imagine what it looks like? it's like, that's broken. That's not even, that's broken. And he's like, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm preparing a place. It's a big house. I got you. There's plenty of room. It's going to be this amazing experience that all of us get to step into. And, uh, And it's wild to think about that. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's exactly who it is that we would want to prepare a place for us. We always think in terms of what visual kind of pleasure we might experience or what we might see. But here's the, here's the contractor that we're working with, the heavenly contractor. He's building a place that has no sorrow. He's building a place that has no tears. He's building a place that has no mourning. He's building a place that has no pain, no suffering, no death. No, he's building that place for us. And, uh, And not only is it like a spiritual or an emotional pain or suffering, here's good news, it's also physically no suffering right? If you're like me, you roll out of bed on any given day, your body is sore. I'm like, I'm in my thirties. Why am I sore? I did nothing yesterday. I got to take ibuprofen for the day ahead. I like, I did nothing. And it's like, does it get worse than this? And you talk to people, they're like, it definitely gets worse than that. Right? So it's like, but it's like, you get to look forward to like a redeemed body, new creation body. Like I'm here for that. And so he says, all that's to look forward to, but not just uh, a future eternity or a future hope of eternity, not just looking forward to heaven. But he actually encourages us to bring that hope, that hope of eternity, bring that into the present. We talked about that last week. How can I drag the hope, the future hope of eternity that I have in Jesus and bring that right in my home, with my family, with my friends, with my coworkers, right where I'm at? Bring some kingdom of God down to right where I'm at. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. You believe in Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that'll get you there. But he says, great faith will bring heaven to your soul. And so when, when you live in light of eternity, when you have a heavenly focus, you bring it down to the people around you. Don't wait until you're dead to start living is what he's saying. He came that we might have life and have it to the full. We hit that on a different week. Jesus says, I am the way I am the truth. I am the life is what he teaches. Here's what he says in verses four through five. He's telling this to Thomas, uh, and all of the disciples, all the followers of Jesus are there. He says, you know, the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? So Jesus starts, hey, don't be worried. Don't be anxious. Don't be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. You know the, you know the way that I'm going. You know where I'm going. And then Thomas says what everybody thinks. No, no, we, no, we really don't. We don't know where you're going, right? So he kind of looks around the room and he's like, is it just me? Just me? Okay, no, no one knows what you're saying. And so, Thomas, when we read passages of Scripture like this, I love that John leaves it in there because it's for us in that moment. He just leaves some humanity in there, right? It's not really good marketing to leave that part where the guy who's a follower of Jesus gives a rebuttal to the Son of Man. He's like, uh, sir, we don't know. Like, it's not good marketing. Why would you leave that in there? Except that God uh, is there for that. Like, he's there in our doubts, there in our fears, there in our worries, there in our I don't know what you're talking about. Um, Thomas... Gets this label that the Christian church has given him. Not Jesus. Jesus doesn't give the label. We gave Thomas this label over the course of the lifetime of the church. We call him Doubting Thomas. And it got me thinking, like, how much would you like it if someone took your sin, your area of sin in your life, and they just put that junk, like, in front of your first name? You know what I mean? Like, how messed up is that? How jacked up is that? Most well, what we do with Thomas, we put it right in front of his first name. And so he's dealing with that. But I love it because he says exactly what we're all thinking is what we would be thinking if we were contemporaries of Jesus. He says, you know the way, and Thomas goes, we have no idea what you're talking about. Every time we ask you a question, Jesus, you only answer us with another question, and everything is in riddle or parable form. We have no idea what you're saying. And so Jesus leans into the moment, and then he says this, Jesus answers him, I am the way the truth, and the life. It's such a setup. It's so great. Thomas steps in it too. He's like, you know the way. He's like, I know when y'all are going to ask me. And Thomas is like, oh, we don't know the way. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And it's statements like this that gets Jesus killed. So he doesn't say, Hey, I've got seven principles for the good life. He doesn't say, Hey, if you'll apply all the things that I teach you, you're going to get morally, you're going to be in a good place and you're going to make an impact on people. And you know, you should follow me just for the sake of following me. Jesus doesn't make that claim. Jesus says, I am God. He says, Hey, if you see me, you see the father. We are one in this. I and the father are one. It's the same thing and, and so these, these types of statements are bold statements, and that's the reason why we want to lean into them, because he's teaching us a lot about who he is, and when we learn about who he is, we discover who we are. So he makes this statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're going to unpack that. The first one is, he says, I'm the way. I'm the way. Jesus is saying, I'm the way home. I'm the way back to a relationship with God. I'm the way to an eternity with him, and I'm also the way this side of heaven. So living life now, day to day, apply what I've taught, apply how I lead, apply both by spirit and word. What I've already said and then allow for the Holy Spirit to kind of show you, lead you, direct you. I'm the way. Jesus didn't come to earth with a message of behavior modification. He came with a message of life transformation. Dead things come alive. That's what it's all about, right? And so we think of sin and categories of morality. We tend to think about really bad sin, really dark, deep nasty sin we think about sin that's like it's not that big of a deal. sin that's not that big of a deal i'm not a liar i just lie a little you know what i mean so it's like that that's kind of how we think of when we think of sin uh but it's much worse than sin is just bad sin makes you dead as a matter of fact you are dead in your sin those the bible teaches those who are outside of christ if you haven't surrendered and believed on him you are dead without sin these are not my words but scripture so there's no degrees of deadness Right, so you don't just you don't walk up to someone like a body somewhere. Like they're seventy eight percent dead. No one does that. You're either dead or you're alive. So it doesn't matter what your area of brokenness doesn't matter what your sin doesn't matter what your story is outside of Christ dead inside of Christ, his resurrection has implications for your own. That's what we talked about last week. So I get to ride the resurrection of Jesus so that he can give me life and offer a future hope, but he begins to transform my life now. We always look at other people's testimonies or stories of what God's done in their life, and we always want the crazy story, right? in that, is that just me? Like growing up, I remember we'd have speakers and stuff like that, and you'd have crazy stories. Like dudes like, I OD'd three times, you know, I was resuscitated three times, woke up, stabbed a guy, went to prison, started you know, like God got a hold of my life, started a prison ministry and me and people came to faith. You're like, man, that's a, that's a story. That's good. I've never OD'd. You know what I mean? Like I've never, I, I've never, I've never stabbed a guy. Like I just like that. He's got a real story. I want like, you know, I, story's kind of lame you know and I mean, like I grew up in church and you know, I kind of like, I was a good kid mainly, you know, didn't cuss much you know, didn't like, you know, didn't like, you know, w- you know, said, yes, sir. You know, like did, you know, knew some things, went, did some religious rhythms. And then one day I finally realized who Jesus was. God got a hold of my heart and I gave my life to Jesus. And, and then it's, you know, so we have, we have both stories. You have people who don't really, they're like, I don't have anything crazy to offer. Yes, you do. You were dead and now you're alive. It's the same thing. It is the same exact story except just one's more colorful than the other one. Dead things coming alive and Jesus is what it's all about. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he's teaching us. He's here for life transformation, for heart transformation, for dead things to come alive. And, um, and the reason why any of that matters is because there is a gap between where we are and who God is. And you know this, like God is perfect. It's what Bible teaches. God is perfect. If we struggle with the idea of God uh, because of whatever background or because of whatever we're taught culturally or whatever the case may be, the idea is that, man, it only makes sense for the one who creates everything that you and I see to be outside of everything that's created. He's not subject to the things that he's created. We talked about this last week. So he's not subject. He's always on time because he's not subject to time. When you make time, you can show up whenever you want and you're still on time. You know what I'm saying? This is also how miracles work, both in in the scripture, but also today. Um, When you create natural law, natural order, you can can do what you want. You can spice it up, step outside of that, because at the end of the day, all of it's subject to you. So you can stop all of that. And the same thing, the question is, how does God deal a perfect God, a holy God, a righteous God, who is, man, he's full of grace and goodness and all that, but also he's just He's just righteous. He's just holy. Like he's just set apart. He's God. How does he deal with the inconsistencies that we have? How does he deal with moral law? What's the workaround? And the workaround that we see in scripture for dealing with the moral law is Jesus, his own son. When Jesus goes to the cross, he doesn't die for your sin, but as your sin, he who knew no sin became sin in that moment, which is why when God looks on him, he can't, he turns away. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he's your sin. And so because he's righteous and because he's just, and because he's holy in that moment, the workaround for moral law is Jesus standing in the gap. It's you and I way over here. Our inconsistencies, our selfishness, our desires to do what we want when we want them. And then God in his perfection is over here. It's going, okay, how are you going to bridge the gap between those two? And Jesus steps in and says, I got you. Here's the bridge For the great divide that is your life and my life. And so, um, all of the punishment, all the wrath, everything that was meant for me and you, Jesus takes that on. And then he stands in the gap for all of us. And so we have this problem and that we, we live in this already not yet space where we're born for another place. We're born for eternity. And we have these soul cravings where we try and fill that gap instead of filling it with the cross of Christ or instead of filling, filling it with a faith and a belief and a trust in Jesus that he is the way, the truth, and the life, we fill it with all kinds of other things. We fill it with money. We fill it with earthly relationships. We fill it with pleasure. We fill it with sex. We fill it with... Uh, more material wealth. We fill fill it with all kinds of things. And none of those things, popularity, influence, whatever, none of those things satisfy. The problem is, is when we pursue those in order to satisfy our desires, they end up letting us down. So you get to what you thought you wanted. If I could just get a little bit more money, I'd be good. No, you won't. When you get there, you're going to want more money, Right? If I could just get more popularity, more influence, more following, more like I would be in a good place if I could just get to a space where I had more influence or more popularity. No, you won't. You'll get there and you will want more of it. As a matter of fact, here's what's wild. People who get more. So people are like, man, if I had more money, I would just be more generous. Statistically, you'll be less generous because if it's an idol for you when you have very little, it'll be that much more of an idol for you when you have a lot. Same thing when it comes to popularity or influence or any of those things. You don't have very much. When, one day when, when you have all that you think you need, you're going to want more of it and you're going to be more isolated than anybody you've ever met. People who, who have all of that are the most isolated people. So the idea is I need more to fill in this gap. You fill in the blank with whatever you think you need more of. Your soul craves for more, and Jesus is the only way to more. There's a chasm, great gap between us and the God who loves us, who is is perfection, and Jesus comes as a waymaker. And so that's what's amazing about our God. We're prone to make life about ourselves, prone to be selfish. The Bible tells us that a righteous man, it says a righteous man will fall down seven times you read that and you go, that cat ain't very righteous. You know what I mean? But it goes on and you read it and it, but he also gets, he gets up seven times by the grace of God. And so that's what Jesus comes for is to get you up seven times. So you fall, you make poor decisions, you sin, you're in your brokenness, but like confession, repentance, turning back to the way, the truth and the life. And we begin to stand back up. Uh, that's what Jesus stands in the gap for. He's rich in mercy, slow to anger. Jesus is the way he tells us. And he sets our course. But even when we trip and get off the path that he sets for us, he's the way back. Um, Made me think of the direction app or the map app that you have in your phone, little GPS. Nobody knows road names anywhere anymore, right? My generation, especially younger generations, they don't give a rip about road names. What what road name is that? Like, dude, are you joking me? I have an app. What are you talking about? So, um, but, but you remember back in the day, like, I remember back in the day, how many of you remember back in the day when you had an Atlas in your car? You know what I'm talking about? Come on, somebody. How many of you remember when you had to print that junk out on MapQuest, and then you were like trying to drive and read MapQuest at the same time? And, uh, but then we had, we had the glorious, we had the Garmin and the Tom Toms. Remember those? And you could set it to like a British accent. We all thought we were cool. And, and, and it would just tell you where to go. Um, and so Brooke and I, I remember Anna was little, we were visiting family in D.C., and me, in my pride, and in my stubbornness, and my ego, I thought, I know the way. I don't need no Tom Tom tell me how to get where I need to go. I can see the capital. I could get there, you know what I'm saying? Like, I drive in that direction, we're good, you know? And so, um, and this would happen, this happens to me a lot, actually, uh, in major cities. I'll just kind of pick a point, I'm like, I can parallel, I can get there, and then we end up going down like a one-way road, like in the hood, way off course, you know what I'm talking about? And, uh, and but but what's cool about the app on your phone, the directions app or whatever, what's cool about that feature is this kind of built in grace of what happens when you go way off course, you take a wrong turn or you end up somewhere that you're not supposed to be. What does it do? What does it say? Rerouting. Yes. Yeah, so good. I appreciate so good. And so Jesus says, I am the way. And So many of us are in a place. It might just be like one wrong turn it might just be like you are in another state, my man. Like you, but, but the idea is that there's grace built in to get you back in the direction that God has for your life. It doesn't matter how far away you are. Um, now, we could avoid all kinds of pain and suffering and waiting and all kinds of things if we would just go the way. If we would just go the way. And so, you know, a lot of times now, I'd even tell you, hey, this is the quickest way to get to where you want to go. This is the straight and narrow. This is the best path for you. you're going to avoid traffic. You're going to avoid frustration. You're going to avoid all kinds of these. We go this way. But so many of us, we decide in our arrogance and in our pride, I'm good. I got this. It's not unlike the Israelites in the Old Testament. We should have taken them 11 days to go from Egypt to the promised land. It took them 40 years. And we see that, and we're like, what a bunch of idiots. But you and I do the same thing all the time. We do the same thing all the time in certain areas of our life where we don't choose the way. And and you're like, I'm choosing the way in the majority of the places or spaces of my life, and yet there's still certain things we kind of hold on to and go, I know better than God. I'm going to choose to do it my way in this part. And he's going, don't do that. It's going to take you a lot longer. I'm going to have to reroute you. It's going to be painful. And you're finally going to go down a one-way street in the hood and realize I'm, I'm good. Like you get to a humble place in a broken place that you're finally willing to like lean in and go the direction that he has for your life. And Jesus says, that's what he's, when he says, I'm the way is what he's talking about. I'm the way that you should walk. And guess what? When you get off course, I'm the way back to the father. He says, I'm the truth. This is what else he tells Thomas. I'm the truth. I'm the way and the truth. And what does it mean when he says, I'm the truth? He said, I'm the truth of who God is. You want to know who God is? That's me jesus is the visual aid of who he is he's god in flesh if you want to know what god sounds like what he acts like what his posture is towards you jesus says i'm here take a look this is what colossians 1 15 says in 19 through 20 It says the sun is the image of the invisible god you want to see god look at the sun the firstborn of all creation for god was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him Let that set for a second. There's not a single bit of who God is that was not in the person of Christ. God's fullness was dwelling in the person of Jesus, as Jesus the Son, pleased to have all of his fullness in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. There it is again. The gap between you and I and a perfect God is Jesus. And so by making peace through his blood shed on the cross, And so the truth of who God is is found in Jesus. And many people don't want a relationship with God because um, uh, they don't know who God is. They have this misinterpretation of who God is. So if you view God as someone who's excited to catch you in the act, if you view God as someone who's excited to execute punishment on you, if you view God uh, as someone who's a tyrannical judge, you begin to live in shame, you begin to live in fear, you begin to kind of tiptoe around, like just don't find me out. And, and, and the opposite is true. If you begin, if you see God as someone who's only gracious, only kind, only good, not just, not holy, not righteousness, no standard, then we abuse the grace that he offers. Jesus is my homeboy. It's good. He will cover my sin. It's all good. He's already paid for all the dumb mistakes I want to make next week. And what we do is we cheapen his grace. And then we just need to let it sit that uh, grace is expensive and Christ died for your sin. Like, that moment needs to happen where we realize that. And some of us, uh, we believe in a God who's distant, like a celestial clockmaker who sets things in motion but isn't involved. Like a deity, yeah, he kind of, like, he does things and then just lets it roll. He's just kind of watching, real cold, from a distance, that kind of thing. Except the Bible shows us, through Jesus, how, how much of a lie that is. How much God is for you, how much grace he offers how much love he has. If anything, Jesus tended to rebuke religious people. Those who said, hey, I've got it all together, who were quick to judge others instead of being an extension of grace for the broken and the lost and the marginalized, instead of coming alive in him and then extending that to others. And so that's what we see time and time again in scripture. If you think that God's out to get you, you need to read the story of the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. Under Jewish law, she'd be stoned to death. Jesus flips the law because he authored the law. Again, you're not subject to something if you make it. uh, Who is Lord of the Sabbath? That kind of thing. Hey, he he looks at everybody who's there to stone the woman who was caught in this act of sin by Jewish law. They're like, we're bringing her Jesus. Jesus has got to uphold this. He's He's a man of the law. He teaches about the law. Clearly, um, he's going to take part in this. And then Jesus says, sure, let's do it. If you don't have any sin, throw the stone. No one throws a stone. So the next time you think your God is angry, get the picture of a God who's in the person of Jesus offers grace and mercy to this woman in this space. And then he says, what afterwards go and send no more. Right? So he's the truth of God. There's a story in Luke seven. There's a lady on her way to bury her only son and she's broken. In the passage in Luke seven, it tells us that she doesn't even, she doesn't ask anything of Jesus. She doesn't beg of Jesus. She doesn't worship Jesus. She doesn't mention Jesus just sees her and it's not based on good behavior or merit or any of the other things. She's not doing anything to get a miracle. Jesus just because of his love for her, his love is enough to compel himself to move on her behalf. And he raises her little boy from the dead. He tells her when he sees her in Luke seven, the phrase that he gives to her is he says, don't cry. Now, that doesn't sound like a God who doesn't care. That doesn't sound like a God who doesn't have empathy, who's not near to the brokenhearted. Don't cry. And he does something about it. He says, little boy, get up. Side note, if you ever have a funeral and the Son of Man walks up on your funeral, don't put the body in the ground. Don't put the body in the ground, okay? Because, like, anytime Jesus is around, funerals tend to not happen, okay? We hit that last week. But I love that. that he, he loves her. He's for her. He's broken in that moment. He's near. And so if you want to see who God is, look at Jesus. You got you to gotta spend some time with him. Get to know him. And then he's going to reveal some things about the character of God. Here's what Jesus says in John 8. Again, same author, different chapter. Jesus says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold my teachings, you're really my disciples let that just stop right there. (laughs) If you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. And he says this, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And culturally, what we've done in the church and broader is we've taken that statement and we've simplified it to this. The truth will set you free. You ever said that or heard other people say it? The truth will set you free, which is true. It's not untrue. But it's only true because of the precursor statement. It says this, you will know the truth, and then the truth will set you free. So how does it set you free? You know it, and then it sets you free. Freedom comes from knowing. And this is the reason why our vision as a church starts with know God. i got to start there. i got to have a real relationship with him. I got to spend time with him. I got to converse. I got to pray. I got to, there's a lot of things that God's already spoken. God's already said in his word. What can I do to download, begin to understand his character and his promises for my life? Like I need to know him, not just know things about him, but know him. I want to know him. And, and it means just the intimate relationship. And guess what? You can't get the freedom that God wants for your life outside of knowing him. So many people want to get freed from some, from some things in some areas of their life, of struggles, predispositions to sin, and they can't, you can't do it in your own power. You have to know him, and then he gives you over to freedom. If you know the truth, Jesus is saying, I will set you free. I will set you free. And so we can't, uh, we can't apply what we don't know. Um, and this is true. This is an experience for every Jesus follower. You can come to faith in Christ and, uh, and learn things 15 years. How many of you know that's true? How many of you have been following Jesus for a while and you're learning things over the past couple years that you're like putting off over the past couple years like, ooh, he got me. Past couple years, you know what I mean? Uh, like, man, I wish I would applied that but like 20 years ago, you know what I mean? Uh, Brooke and I will sit with people from time to time in our church family. And um, going through things, and, and there's people who are mature in faith, been following Jesus for a long time, and then there's people who are, like, brand new to Christianity, brand new to following Jesus. And, um, and it's evident sometimes that people come in with kind of a cultural Christianity or an idea of the way that God ought to operate or who he is based on what they heard or taught uh, was taught as a kid. Things that are really not biblical, though, because they'll say things and we're like, oh, hold up. So we have to flesh everything out through the filter, that is scripture. And what has he already said? What's he already said? Do you know him? Do you know what he's already said? And do you, are you willing to submit your life to that truth? Because if I do, then he'll set me free. So Jesus says, I'm the way I am the truth. And then he says this, I'm the life. And Jesus is saying that deliverance, uh, The deliverance that he's talking about is not a political deliverance. It's not a a social deliverance, but it's a spiritual, and even a physical deliverance over to us as Christians. If we're not careful, um, we will, we will come to faith in Christ and then we will relegate the Christian life to good. I'm going to heaven. Awesome. Done. It's like, dude, you just left a lot on the table. Uh, and it's not that Jesus didn't come for the house that he prepares for you with many rooms he did but he is the way the truth and the life there's an experience that he wants you to have this side of eternity where you bring kingdom of heaven down and you begin to influence and impact the people around you i know people that i've talked to before and i'm like how you doing they're like i'm just so ready for the lord to come so ready for the lord so ready basically like i'm so i'm ready to die bro like i'm re- like i'm ready to go to heaven can we just get the heaven thing going And it's like, you're leaving so much on the table if that's the way that you view following Jesus. Because what he does is he comes, he gives you over to his way, his truth, and the life that's on the other side of obedience. And then he says, okay, now I want you to take this message, this hope of salvation to the rest of humanity. I'm going to empower you by my spirit and you're going to be witnesses wherever you go. But you can only do it in my power. You can only do it my way. You can only do it with my truth. And then you can only do it with me giving you over to the life that that really you're called to live and so that's what he's calling us into when jesus says i'm the life he's talking about the space between now and heaven i'm coming back for you i'm going to prepare a place for you and while you're waiting i am the life and so so many of us we go i don't know i may go this way instead I may may go my own way. I don't really buy that it's that exclusive. I I don't really buy that. Maybe there's another way. Maybe there's another truth. Maybe there's another life. And then Jesus makes this claim right after he says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life." He says, "No one comes to the Father except through me. No one." And this is not a popular statement today. Um, because it feels very exclusive. And it's meant to. Feels very offensive. And it's meant to. Feels very in your face. And Jesus is like, but but the truth is truth. And so so Jesus comes and he stands right in front of Thomas, right in front of the disciples, right in front of his followers. He's standing in front of me and you and he's saying, hey, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And I'm offering all of this over to you. And and in order to get there, you got to come through me. So all of your sin, all of your brokenness, all of your mistakes, all your predispositions to struggle, you have to humble yourself. Surrender your life. Believe on my life and my death and my resurrection. Claim it. That's what baptism is today. Everybody who gets baptized today is claiming victory in Christ, not their own victory. This is a humbling thing. I'm dead to my old self and I want to come alive in Jesus. But we have to move from knowing things about God to knowing him. We have to move from having a Bible to reading it. We have to move from an intellectual ascent to a life and a heart transformation. God Move in me, work in me, humble me, help me surrender, help me go the path and the way for my life that is, I want to get to where you want me to go quicker than, than, than my own way. And I want you to give me over to obedience, and I want you to give me over to truth, and I want you to give me over to life so that I can make the greatest impact possible for eternity. There's, your, there's people in your life and in my life that we see every single day that desperately need what God has to offer through you. Through you. And, uh, and there's some of you here that uh, for the very first time today, you may see Jesus for who he is, the way, the truth, and the life. And you're willing to go all in and submit your life to him. I want to give you an opportunity to do that this morning. And I'm going I'm to pray for us and, and close us out in prayer right now. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your life. Thank you so much for your teaching and that you draw us into a place of more. That those of us who are dead, God, in you, we come alive. And so I pray for more of that today, where there's areas of our life that have felt dead, felt like autopilot, felt dormant, felt like they lacked life. God, I pray you breathe on them and that you would just help us to come to to life in you. Uh, For those of us who are here and we've never given our lives to you, we've never fully surrendered or come to faith in Christ. Jesus, you're in the business of saving people every single day. By your word and by your spirit, there is power in truth. And so as, as we sit right here in this space and we reflect on our own life and we realize, man, this is who I am. This is what I've done. These are all the things that I have to offer. And it ain't much aside from uh, humility and brokenness and a desire to be made right and be, be made whole and to come alive in him. And I offer my humility and I go low today. And, and Jesus, I I pray that you would save me. By your grace, I pray that you would stand in the gap, that great gap between me and God, and you would do what only you could do in this moment. If you're here today and you've never fully surrendered your life to Jesus, and you want to have a moment to mark that, uh, that faith that you have in him. That's what saves you, by the way, faith. Your faith. And the great grace that he offers you is the thing that brings about your salvation. Everything necessary for the work of salvation already happened 2000 years ago. Your moment of personal salvation is when you realize it. And so today, if that's you and you go, I'm surrendering, I'm handing over every bit of my addiction and my shame. And I'm handing every bit of my sin and my brokenness in my life. I want to either a come alive in you or rededicate my life to you today. I've been struggling with whatever you've been struggling with. If that's you and you're in this space, you want to come alive in Christ. Would you just raise your hand right where you're at? I'd to lead you in a prayer prayer doesn't save you Jesus saves you but right where you're at just raise your hand I see your hand thank you and just say I want to surrender my life I see your hand I just want to surrender my life to Jesus today again he would love to just give you over to freedom but you got to know him if you want to know him today just pray this prayer Jesus I love you thank you so much for what you did for me God give me over to a knowledge Uh, of you. Give me over to the way that you have for my life. I pray that you would you would bridge the gap for me. You came you stepped in and you took on sin you took it to the cross. That was my sin and you paid for it. And so I offer in exchange for that God my life. It's the only thing that makes sense in this moment. My life I fully surrender and you lead me the way, the truth, and towards the abundant life that you have for me, this side of eternity, but also into heaven. And God, I'm grateful for the life change that happened today. For every marriage in the room, God, for every family in the room, for every future purpose in the room, God, you desire for dead things to come alive. Help us to submit to your word, the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.